Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 6 I've seen worse places, Filthy Henry said, but I'm pretty sure they were about to be blown up. Maybe they had been blown up. There was definitely no question as to why they had been deemed unsafe for humans, that's for sure. You actually live here. He looked at Cahill, and was greeted with a sullen expression on the man's face, favoured by those who felt the world was against them. Shelley and Drew were coming up the garden path as the taxi which had brought them all to Cahill's house drove back to town. It was my granddad's, Cahill said, pulling a key out from his pocket. Now get lost. Filthy Henry reached out and snatched the key from Cahill. Without waiting for any further conversation, the ferry detective walked up to the front door, unlocked it and stepped inside. Everyone has heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover at least once in their life. It's a fairly easy phrase to figure out the meaning of, unless you were the sort of person who only read on a digital device and shunned proper books. Although digital books did have covers, technically. Still, the basic principle of the phrase was that the contents of a book may not be as amazingly entertaining as the picture of a nubile young woman on the cover brandishing a laser gun while standing on some alien landscape would imply. It was a phrase that Filthy Henry tried to live his own life by. On the outside, he looked like a friendly and approachable person, not the cantankerous grouch he was deep down. As it happened, the same rule of thumb could be applied to the abode of Mr. Cullen. The exterior of the building looked derelict, while the inside was much, much worse. The fairy detective entered the dark hallway and mentally flicked on his fairy vision, allowing him to see the world in varying hues of blue. Even from just the hallway, things looked bleak. Wallpaper was not so much peeling as skydiving down from the ceiling towards the floor at terminal velocity. Certain patches of carpet seemed to have been burned away, or at least used as small campfire spots. On the left, a stairs led up to the second floor, but Filthy Henry decided against going much higher in case upstairs was more depressing than the hallway. He walked down and took the only doorway into the living room area, a room that, in his mind, needed to be renamed for this particular building. Living rooms were places people did living. This place looked like it was a cross between a city rubbish tip and an Occupy, insert random financial district here campsite. In front of a fireplace that had ash pouring out of the grate onto the floor was a threadbare sofa. Currently home to a large duvet in place of any cushions and a collection of blankets. Mounds of clothes, because piles would have implied a semblance of order, had gathered in the corners of the room. More wallpaper had started to come away, clearly water damaged, and gather into strange clumps that looked like support beams made from papier-mâché. An exposed bulb hung from an electrical line in the centre of the room. Filthy Henry considered not turning on the light, for fear that in colour things would look even worse. He found the switch just inside the doorway and flicked it, turning off his very vision in the process. Oh, it does get worse, he said, spying the wooden kitchen table and rickety chairs which acted as a strange border up to the kitchenette area. An area that had dirty dishes stacked up, seemingly there long enough that the grime and old food had gained a level of sentience and started to clean things by evolutionary accident. A gentle hum in the corner indicated that the fridge was at least working. 
but given the portion of the house he had viewed so far, Filthy Henry decided to leave opening it for now. Then, of course, there was the elephant all over the room. Crumpled cans of beer and empty bottles of whiskey were everywhere. A clear indication that getting Cahill up to the level required to save the day would take a little more work than the fairy detective would have liked. It looked like keeping the man sober would require a few tricks in itself. Forget about the impending fight to save the world. This guy's meant to be the champion, Filthy Henry asked the empty room. Here you, Cahill said, barging past the fairy detective and standing directly in front of him. Get the hell out of my house before I call somebody to get rid of you. Filthy Henry took a quick step forward and stared down at Cahill. Listen up, sunshine, and listen good, because I will burn the ears right off you in the blink of an eye. You don't get to call anybody, because nobody's going to come out here. Right now, you have a choice. Option A is to sit your backside down on that sofa-shaped thing there, and get on board with what you're about to be told. Cahill blinked a couple of times, then looked at the fairy detective very confused. Nothing else to say. Splendid. You're a quick learner, Filthy Henry said. He clicked his fingers twice and pointed at the sofa. Shelley and Drew entered the room. God, it's even worse on the inside, Drew declared. Here, just shut up and close the front door, Filthy Henry said to the Druid. We need to educate Cahill and come up with a game plan. If at all possible, I'd like to have this whole thing wrapped up before I catch whatever has infected this house. Drew ran back down the hall, closing the front door with a loud slam, then came back to join them in the living room. Shelley and Drew walked around the fairy detective and stood where the mouldy carpet met stained kitchenette tiles. They kept fidgeting on the spot and made very obvious attempts to not touch anything or keep one foot in the exact same location for too long, just in case there was a creature hidden in the layers of dirt and it somehow managed to transfer to their person. I feel like I need a shower, Shelley said, hugging herself. But not in this place, or a mile within the same water system that supplies this place just in case anybody was wondering. Filthy Henry rubbed the bridge of his nose and let out an exasperated sigh. One of these days he was going to get a group of people working on a case that would make his life easier. People who complained less and generally just did as they were told. Or better yet, did everything without being told and solved the case on his behalf, while ensuring the full payment went into his bank account. He wondered if that was really asking too much of the world. Maeve sat in the back seat of the car as Noel drove them to the Crone's hovel in the woods. For somebody who had until very recently been dead and long gone from the world, the warrior was behaving remarkably well. More so considering his aptitude for handling the vehicle with such skill. The last thing with four wheels he would have travelled in was a cart. This new skill set had been easily explained by Lauren. The spirits of Noel and Trug now inhabiting the two bodies, had full access to all the memories of the men, right down to how one drove a motor vehicle. The longer they remained in the new bodies, the more control they would gain, until eventually the original minds would be supplanted by Maeve's two warriors. This had made their acceptance of the new time they were currently in a much easier transition. Unlike the Queen, Trug and Nall already knew everything about modern-day Ireland that they needed to know. After a few minutes they accepted what was now their new normal and turned to Maeve for further instructions. So, my lady, Nall said as he drove the car, 
What's the plan then? Same as last time. Getting all the other lads back from the dead as well. I must say, the crone said, you're taking your revival exceedingly well. Usually when someone finds out they're dead, there's a bit of an adjustment to being back alive. We were not up to much, Drew said. Literally just lying around. Didn't even know we were dead. So it's nice being back in the world again. Even if the bodies could do with a bit of work. He held up his arms and examined them, seemingly disappointed. Turn up at this tree ahead, Maeve said. I knew I selected wisely when Ally allowed me to pick two personal warriors. Don't make me regret having the crone bring you back. Of course you did, my lady, Nall said. The rest of the lads couldn't follow your plotting like I could. Me too, Drug chimed in. Nall looked over at his friend and grinned. Sure, buddy. Whatever you say. Is it that mound of stuff stacked up against the oak? Less judging of the home which belongs to she who brought you back to life, Revenant, the crone said. Noel parked the car up alongside the hovel and turned off the engine. Trug opened the passenger door and jumped out, reaching to open Maeve's door so that she could easily step out. Noel got out from the driver's side of the car and slammed the door shut. He started walking over to the hovel but stopped at the sound of glass being wrapped on by a knuckle. Open it for her, Noel, Maeve said. Unless you'd like to be returned to the earth. Without saying a word, he opened the door, then extended his arm to help the crone out of the car. Bite me, you ignorant buffoon, Lauren said, climbing out of the car and shuffling over to the hovel. So, we've to still follow something similar to our old plan in order to acquire the bull. It doesn't matter that we did that before. This apparently counts as a second chance. I'm not allowed to directly take the animal and the crone is somebody who cannot get involved. Hence why you pair her back. Plus, nobody really remembers just how important the bull is now, the crone said, slapping Noel's hand hard with her cane as he reached out to pick up a jar of eyeballs from a shelf beside the door. Just why is she helping you? Noel asked Maeve, rubbing the back of his hand. She's helping us because a long time ago we made a pact. Once we get all the bulls, then we'll use their power to fix something for her. Indeed, Lauren said as she dragged a chair over to the bubbling cauldron. Although, I may have added a few things to my list of requests during the years. Being alive for centuries waiting for your partner in crime to return gives a fairy time to reflect on things. Is there any food in there? Trug asked, craning his neck to look into the cauldron. I wouldn't exactly go eating whatever's a-bubbling away in there, Noel said. The crone shot them both a dirty look, then pointed at a chipped bowl with several green apples on it next to a skull of some woodland animal. You can eat those. Maeve went over to the table and sat down on what she had started to view as her seat. Despite her current accommodation, the fact that she had to bring back the spirits of two of her favoured warriors, and that there was no army behind her, Things were looking good. If the people of this time had forgotten about the old ways and disregarded the importance of the brown bull, all the better. Before sunset the following day, all that she had worked towards for much of her life would finally be hers, with absolutely nothing in the way of resistance. Had Maeve known that the simple act of being nearly killed would have made everything so much easier, she would have gotten Trug to kill her days ago, back in their Ireland, 
a simple swing with his sword before the first battle had started, and she would have just jumped through time immediately, leaping over all the obstacles that had been put in her way. No magically powered brat defending the bull. No useless army not being able to kill a single child in the middle of a field. No problems at all. Fate, it seemed, was not without a sense of humour. Once we bring the two bulls together, I will use my new power to get back your normal bodies, may have said to Nolan True. As well as more rewards for being so loyal, even after death. Tomorrow morning, get into the car and drive to the bull. Speak with whoever acts as its guardian now, and see if they will just hand it over with no fuss. I'll wait here so as not to risk the ancient curse kicking in. Then when you return, we will remake the land as I see fit. Nall raised an eyebrow as he bit into an apple. That plan's so simple it's scary, when compared to the original one. In fact, it's so simple you'll have to wonder, what exactly could go wrong now? Also, what curse? True asked, looking around at everyone very confused. Shelley looked at Cahill and wondered exactly how he was meant to save the world. In all the stories she had read, both fairy-related and legendary, the hero of the tale was always some dashing specimen of the human race. They had muscles on their muscles and could juggle whales in one hand while saving kittens from burning trees. Sometimes the hero was a young boy, found when they had had years to be trained correctly in the art of world-saving. Others he was fully prepared from the moment the world needed him. It seemed that, unlike the magical aspects of the fairy world that Shelley now took for granted, the heroes from her stories were pure works of fiction. Cahill seemed to be the sort of person that would fall over in a strong wind, and that was before you factored in just how hungover he was. Then there was the actual amount of drinking he seemed to partake in. What the house lacked in furniture, creature comforts and general sanitation, it more than made up for in discarded beer bottles, crushed beverage cans and empty wine boxes. Unless Cahill was running a unique cottage industry out of this derelict abode, one that supplied empty containers to restaurants so they could be turned into hipster candle holders. Shelley reckoned they had a flawed hero in their hands. One who required a sizable stint in a clinic to dry out before being considered for the job of saving the world. Then again, with Filthy Henry as the trainer, chances were Cahill Cullen was going to sober up in a very magical way. With a little gentle encouragement, in the form of a punch to the arm so that he took the hint, Drew had wiped down one of the chairs so that Shelley could sit on it. After failing to find a cloth, or at least one that seemed clean enough, it would move around most of the dirt on the chair, the druid had used the sleeve of his hoodie. He had even held on to the back of the seat so that Shelley could sit down, as if his manners were bubbling up to the surface on their own. Filthy Henry had taken off his trench coat, and folded it neatly before placing it on the back of the sofa. This was out of character for the fairy detective, considering the pigsty that he called home back in Dublin. Shelley had seen him once use a stack of empty pizza boxes as a footstool, rather than carry them down to the bin in his office one floor below. That single coat-folding act in itself was an indication of just how dirty Cottle's house was. Even the most slovenly of men she knew did not want to let his coat get dirty. Shelley had checked around with her fairy sight, hoping that the squalor and filth was actually masking a great magical source. Something powerful, earth-shattering, 
that was going to save the day. But it appeared that the house was the least magical place on the planet. The fairy detective tugged down the sleeves of his suit jacket and walked around to stand in front of Cahill. Cahill looked up at Filthy Henry. You know this is all kinds of illegal, right? I mean, you've basically broken in, Cahill began. Filthy Henry bent down quickly and glared directly at Cahill. Now, I'm going to tell you some things. Things that may not make a whole bunch of sense at first. But trust me, Cahill. Trust me on this one little bit. Trust me like you've never trusted a strange man before. Of the four people in this room right now, you can bet your last euro that I'm the one who doesn't want to be here the most. Henry, Shelley said. Filthy Henry stood up and looked over at her. But I don't. Not one bit. I shouldn't have given you that pro bono card. So if we're going to make this work at all, then I figure honesty is the best policy. Drew snorted. 90% of the time when your mouth is moving, you're lying, the druid said. The fairy detective smiled. True. And the other 10% I'm swearing at you. Cahill looked over at Shelley and Drew, then back to the fairy detective. What exactly is going on here? Will you people get out of my house before I find my phone and call the police? Shut it, you, Shelley said, pointing at Cahill. He visibly moved back into the sofa, trying to become one with the back cushion and avoid eye contact with Shelley. Look, if everyone could just kindly stop yammering for a minute, Filthy Henry said. I'm trying to do my thing over here. Shelley nodded her head. Drew shrugged. Cahill simply stared at Filthy Henry. Have you ever heard of the old Irish legend, the Tawn? Filthy Henry asked Cahill. Cahill nodded his head slowly. Well, that makes things so much easier. Basically, that actually happened, and in this area, more or less exactly the same way as it goes in the story. Cahill, you're descended from the great hero Ku Cullen, and we need you to step into his heroic shoes and save the world. Sounds like a bit of fun, right? Think of the tale you'll be able to tell the grandkids. What do you say? Shelley had seen the fairy detective give this sort of talk to people in the past. She was not entirely sure where he had learned it from because it rarely, if ever, seemed to work. It lacked everything that an impassioned speech should have to rouse people into a fighting mood. Right now, Shelley could tell that Cahill was slowly processing what had been said, but was headed in the same direction that everyone always went after a fairy detective recruitment speech. He leaned forward on the sofa, looked up at Filthy Henry and took a deep breath. Get the hell out of my house, you crackpot, Cahill said. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle Narration and Music by Niall Milton To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share We'd really appreciate it